Hey everyone, and welcome to episode number 42 of the Tax Security Podcast, where we talk all about Cisco security, uh, configuration products, troubleshooting, new issues, hot issues that we're seeing, um, all kinds of stuff. And today we've got some special guests on the episode. But So um, David, why don't you describe uh, our show today and what we're going to be talking about and introduce our special guests. Well, you know, we spend a lot of our shows talking about specific products and the security, how to make the products more secure, how to troubleshoot, how to leverage the products. So today we thought we'd up-level it a little bit and talk about Cisco's investment in security. You know, kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and say, you know, what does Cisco do to try to make sure the products we ship are secure, mm -hmm. right? So we've had PCERT on here to talk about, you know, how, if we're exposed to vulnerabilities, the process that we go through to make sure that, um, you know, we close the vulnerabilities and how customers report them, how we report them back. But now we're going to talk about a little bit more in the nitty-gritty as we develop a product, right? Even before developing a product, how do we ensure that we are making the most secure product that can be made, right? And so with that, we've got a couple of really special guests. Uh, first, I'm going to introduce Mr. Chris Romeo. All right, thanks, David. Thanks for calling me very special, too. Um, okay, so, Chris, so, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. I'm a technical leader here at Cisco. Been here almost 10 years and uh, been in the, in the security business for 20 years. And my role here is in, within the Cisco Secure Development Lifecycle to help push this out across the company, across all of our products. Okay, and so we're going to talk about, you said, you know, Cisco Secure Development Lifecycle, CSDL. So we're going to actually dive yeah, deep into dive that a bit today. Yep. And to his right is we have Miss. Lisa McDonald. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. Uh, so I've been with Cisco coming up on 17 years. Um, I've been in the customer-facing side. I've been in development, and I've been with CSDL since its inception. So uh, we, we've learned a lot. Fantastic. So let, let's start diving in. So you've all both mentioned CSDL, which is Cisco Secure Development Lifecycle, right? And it's really a lifecycle. It's, it's an integral part of our product development. And so we're just going to break it down to our listeners of how it's relevant to them and our investment. So one of the first thing is, is as you go to develop a product, we have requirements, right? And uh, we found, I guess, over the years, many years ago, we found that um, it's better to have standard requirements when it comes to security. And so we've created something called the PSB, or the Product Security Baseline. Chris, how about you tell us a little bit about what that is? So what we did with, with uh, requirements was... We looked historically and saw a number of different challenges or problems that our products were having over time. And this, this all started about 10 years ago where um, Lisa a Attack Nick, engineer, right? Yeah, attack engineer actually. That's right. Got in attack and started this. Was watching and saying, you know, we keep having all the same problems coming in over and over again. Why is this? And she said, let's, let's start writing these things down. And that's where that was the genesis of the PSB or product security baseline was let's write these things down and push them out to all our products so that we don't end up repeating the same things over and over again. Yeah, and by same mistakes, we're not talking about necessarily bugs from crashes, but we're talking about things like, you know, we shouldn't have any default usernames or passwords, right? We should be secure out of the box. So, Chris, we talked a little bit about or just mentioned the product security baseline um, or the PSB as it's come to be known at Cisco. Give us some example of some requirements that are in the PSB that our customers can relate to. Okay, so here, here's a, a first example. We, we don't allow default credentials to be used in our products because we don't want the same password to be repeated over and over again on you know one product as it gets deployed in many different environments. So we have a requirement there that says that has to be changed Either has to be changed or can't can't uh, contain that default credential. You need to you need to make sure that first installation they're required mm -hmm. to change it. Yeah, we got another one, no back doors. Yep. Okay, we, we cannot 
you know, we don't allow back doors to be put into our products because that's a, you know, it could be a huge problem for our customers. So we just don't allow it. Another important one, being able to to remain um, resilient under flooding conditions, you know, don't, don't let it corrupt your system or, you know, if you crash, you need to be you can't allow it to corrupt the whole system at the same way you come back gracefully. Yeah, and these are these are examples. So we have 155 total requirements, and obviously we don't have time to go through them all, but that gives you some examples of the types of things that we're providing for all of our products. Right, and, and when we say the product security baseline, this is not an optional thing. Um, this is something that all products have to implement across the Cisco por- portfolio. So these are, you know, as, as Chris mentioned, 155 requirements that some of them are common sense. Some of them you got to kind of think about, you know, resilient to attacks, right, resilient to, to flooding or, or, or DOS conditions, um, as well as, you know, no back doors. I mean, that's just fundamental, right? But it, it's critical to us as a, as a company and as a security, you know, from a security perspective that we have these mandates written down that say here's what all – development teams will abide by right, right? and correct. so it, it's it's universal it's across the products and um and it's it, integrated it's not into their development process that's right it's integral into the development cycle that's right yeah, and we should we should jump in here and just say you know this is about building trust into our products that's why we do these things we don't we don't have this csdl just because you know we're trying to make little small security improvements it's it's bigger we want people to, our customers to be able to trust the products that cisco puts out and these are this is going to represent all the best practices that allow us to build that trust in. Right, and initially, you know, it was mainly feature and functionality as it regards to security. But um, more recently, we've added process elements. So you must register third-party software. So more of a process, and not something you do to the product, but you're making sure that it's known so that if a vulnerability is released by a third-party vendor. Those teams that are using that can be immediately. Everybody knows. Everybody sees it. And you know right where to patch. Right. And, and that's important, right? Because as you look at um, in a, a product, right, um, it can have third-party components integral into it, like a web server, right? We might right. use a third-party open-source web server. You're not going to recreate the wheel, right? right. Yeah. But you know that product team knows about that that web server is in there. But it's important for our security teams, right, PCERT and others to know that that third-party product is in there because they watch for all vulnerabilities that are announced in third-party products. And when we find a vulnerability in a third-party product, we actively go and find every single product that has that third-party product in it and fix the vulnerability, right? And the only way we can do that is because we've got a development lifecycle and these requirements that say all product teams have to register the third-party products in our software server, you know, in a server that we can track and we can make sure that we... Um, you know, fix any vulnerability that's discovered in it. Yeah, you've, you've just moved right into the second part of CSDL, our third-party software tracking. Mm-hmm. You know, we have tools. It isn't even a manual process. We have automated tools that track those vulnerabilities in third-party software and notify our development teams to say, hey, you got to, you know, open SSL, for example. There's a bug in it. you got to go patch the latest, you know, to the latest version in this product right. because and, we have And part of that's triggered by Cisco's IntelliShield service. So as they are documenting vulnerabilities um, because of this database they're able to correlate and send alerts to the product teams yeah that's that's great i mean that's uh, showing us using our own tools and products to you know our intellishield you know product to really help uh, with our other products secure the rest of our products so tell us give us another component of the cisco secure development lifecycle we've touched upon some of our product security baseline requirement docs right third-party software tracking and integration capability. But then there's a whole part about, you know, securing the design or what we call threat modeling. Um, Lisa, Chris, one of you guys want to 
you know, explain to the listeners about what we do with threat modeling? Yeah, so threat modeling is the idea of looking at a feature, component, or product and saying, how is a bad guy going to attempt to attack this? And i got a great example for this. So if, you know, our listeners out here, if you're a parent, you're already an expert threat modeler. <laughs> Probably don't understand, but, but, but think about it, right? When your kid's playing in the front yard and, you know, you're sitting on the steps, what are you doing? You're scanning the area. Are there cars coming by going too fast? Is there some scary-looking guy maybe down the street? But you're threat modeling. You're, you're saying, what are the threats in this environment? Well, we take that same idea, and we bring that into looking at our products, and we say, how is a bad guy going to attempt to attack this particular And we do this feature. early in the development life cycle. Yeah, that's right. why it's part of the design. We don't want to do right. this after we have code because then it's just harder. we got to do this during design so that we can adjust the design if we find a problem. Right. You're anticipating what might go wrong, but at the same time, no one can remember every possible thing that can go wrong. The tool, the threat modeling tool, actually helps you, helps to remind you of all the possible things that might be abused. And this is a custom tool that Cisco designed and developed. Yeah, yeah, we developed this tool and uh, used some public databases or public threat sources, brought those in so that we can then apply those against all of our, our products and features. And is this tool um, just a list of those things that somebody has to go through and check, or is it actively, you know, um, executing exploits or trying to do things on the wire? I guess no, it's, it's all designed. We're, we're all looking at a, you draw, basically you draw a picture of your feature and then you tag it with some attributes saying here's what it does. And then a database, you, you then get a dump of threats based on your design or cool. your picture. So like, it's not an active. It's, it's very much a design Right, and type. we're talking about really early in the design process, I guess. Yeah, too, exactly. So. And it still takes, you know, some level of expertise. It, it gets better with experience. Yeah, and so this is, you know, the threat modeling stage. So, again, extremely early in the development, the product life cycle and the development life cycle. Um, we also, you know, once you get past that, you know, how am I going to design this product? What components am I going to use? Um, and I actually start to code, right? We also have a lot of requirements and processes and procedures to ensure that our group of engineers or our developers that are coding our products are doing it in the most secure way possible. Yeah, so the, the we're talking about our secure coding standards here. So we have a, a document that, that describes to our developers the rules of coding in C at Cisco. And we have a number of different security conditions there that they have to consider and, you know, understand to ensure they're not introducing bugs, you know, based on just not having knowledge of security. Right. And they need to leverage uh, shared libraries that have been vetted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, so, and we've also created some safe libraries, right, that we share with a company that are, are above the standard C libraries, right, that have been augmented to, to take into account, right, to reduce the exposure, right, of, of mistakes that can be made and, and of vulnerabilities that could be attacked if, you know, these, these uh, standard library functions weren't patched. Yeah, and this is a library that was created at Cisco, and so C traditionally has a number of functions that are um, dangerous because they don't force you to check return values and things. So what some folks here at Cisco did is they created a C library with some new functions that could be used as drop-in replacements for um, traditionally insecure functions, and they do that bounds checking, and they make sure, you know, when you're dealing with a buffer, and you re receive a value coming back, make sure you're, you, you're not, you know, allowing the buffer to overflow and, and let somebody, cut, you know, cause an exploit. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's a big investment that we've made, right? But I think it has huge payoffs, right? Because, you know, there is this whole process that we've, we obviously have the tools, right? We created the tools and the capabilities, but we also have training, right? We educate our all of our developers on coding and secure coding best practices, and then we give them the tools to actually go and implement that. Um, and secure so, code review checklists. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the other things is that we also have some other common shared libraries that 
um, you know, we don't want people reinventing the wheel, especially for things around security, right? So one of them is we've got uh, Cisco Secure SSL code, right, that we use and we say any product that needs to implement SSL, we want you to use a standardized Cisco version of it. Yes, yeah, so Cisco SSL, we just took open SSL, and we have a version of that that's maintained by one group within Cisco, and then we're able to plug that into many different products because lots of products need an SSL TLS stack. More and more, uh, you know, it's ubiquitous now. So. Yeah, yeah. So we, um, so we have we have a central team that can manage and, and apply bug fixes so that we can make sure we get uh, open SSL related libraries fixed quickly in our products because they have a lot of problems. You know, historically they get yeah. a lot of attention. Yeah, and make sure that any security vulnerabilities that are found in open SSL are quickly integrated and vetted and pushed out to those teams. Yeah, it also helps us for our government customers that require certification or validation of crypto because we can take that Cisco SSL and plug it into lots of different products and shorten timelines for, for that customers that care. Because that certification process does take a while. Right? Yeah, sometimes it could take 7 to 12 months. Now we have a, a piece of code we can drop in and you know cut that cycle down to a month or two. Okay, so we've got, um, we've got these baselines for the uh, development process very early on and then You've got libraries that developers need to use uh, when they're developing the code. And then finally, they're going to start writing code. So what kind of tools do we have to check what's being created that it's uh, you know, not introducing vulnerabilities? Yeah, so now we move into what we call static analysis. And this is just a, a set of tools that, that look at code and determine potential known problems that can exist at the coding level. And they're being run specifically with security checkers enabled. So they're looking for known security problems that are that come from code er coding errors. Oh, so yeah. we're learning, okay, so when we find a new problem, we would feed that back into our static analysis, and then it would hopefully catch that same problem in the future. Yeah, and when, cool. when people go to check their code in, they have to run the static analysis mm -hmm. against you know each piece of code when it gets checked in so we can determine, hey, did you introduce a vulnerability mm -hmm. when you thought you fixed a bug? And we want to we eliminate that. Yeah, and so we use both off-the-shelf, some commercial products to do static analysis, as well as custom tools that we've developed. But again, this is, if, if, if you're listening, you know, this is part of our DNA as part of the life cycle of the product development, right? From, we're hoping to show you that, you know, from the very beginning of initial stages of product of design, all the way through the development process, you know, we have security in mind, right? And it doesn't stop there, right? And so it can't we, be bolted on at the end. Th that's right. Yeah. It, it can, absolutely cannot. Um, and, and think about, we think about this as a circle, though, right? We're yeah. talking about these different pieces of CSDL. This is not a linear progression, you know, we get to the end and we're done. This is a circle that we constantly go back around and around, you know, as a product goes through its, its life cycle. Mm -hmm. And so one of the last things is, you know, again, after we've developed it, we've coded it, we've tested it, right, all these things, we also then run vulnerability tests on it periodically, right? So so give us some examples of some of the vulnerability tests that, that we do. Yes, yeah, so Nessus is a big one, mm -hmm. big uh, big suite that we use to uh, to run against products because we know that our customers out Absolutely. there are running Absolutely, I was just going to say, customers things, already you know? do that all the time. Yeah, right? so we got to run it. We have to make sure that these tools are run before we release the products so that our customers have a better product and they don't have to even consider the vulnerabilities out there, you know? Um, so we're, we're talking about Nessus and um, AppScan and Codenomicon. All these are commercial tools, best of breed, that we've integrated into our process here to ensure that our protocols are as secure as we can get them. We don't have any vulnerabilities that we're aware of coming out of the box. Right. We want to run a standard set of scripts that also leverage open source tools that are commonly used in Nmap, do standard port scans. We send unexpected everything that you can twist on a packet. Uh, we're, we're trying to make sure that all of our products at least see some of those combinations. You can't 
test every negative scenario, but we're making sure that there's a at least some exposure. Yeah, and, and this is broad-based, right? And so, again, we do a lot of, um, you know, we have a lot of investment to make sure this occurs on all of our products. But we also have specialized teams at Cisco, too, that their only job is, you know, to, to test our products for vulnerabilities. And, you know, and how do we make them more secure, right? Let's let's put on the hacker mindset and let's try to break into these products. And that's what they do day in and day out. Um, they try to break our products, find vulnerabilities, and then, and then if they ever do, obviously report them, we get them fixed. But we take that knowledge and apply it to across the product portfolio. Yeah, and th- those teams are really smart. And yep. um, Sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, actually it's a lot of fun to do that type of a job. But, yeah, they're finding those problems before they're detected out in the wild or That's in right. public. And then that way we can fix them and, and get the best possible product to our customer. But we're expanding the number of things that we're finding internally. And, of course, we handle them with the same, you know, P-cert, procedures that we do we we process them and triage them the same way we would something that was that was reported externally so chris was saying um you know we we obviously invest a lot and have people doing these pen style like testing before we release the product but as chris also said you know this is a cycle right it's it's not a straight line it's it's a circle and so we continuously do this because new code is introduced over the life cycle um, as bug fixes or new features come and if we do then find a vulnerability um, that we didn't know about before that was introduced, we do disclose it. You know, as Lisa was saying, you know, we notify PCERT, PCERT gets engaged, we follow the normal public disclosure policy that we've got, just as if we found out about this vulnerability externally. And so if you look at a lot of our PCERT, you know, uh, vulnerability announcements that are out there, they'll say that they were found internally, right? And that's part of our um, continuous security development lifecycle. So we've talked a lot about uh, the Cisco Secure Development Life Cycle, or CSDL. Um, what we haven't really talked about is how all this got started. So we did talk about, you know, the PSB, which is one part of the development life cycle, or the product security baseline, that a tech engineer, right, noticed these problems coming up and said, hey, you know, we should not have these repeated vulnerabilities, if you would, or, or problems, right, L- lower security levels in our products. So let's start formulating some requirements that people have to you know, abide by. But that that's one piece of our development life cycle. But we, it, it's actually much bigger as we've talked about. But how did that get started? I mean, what caused us to kind of push us towards needing these requirements across the board at all stages of the development process? Well, we saw the need, right, for, for security requirements and, and other security technologies to be built into the process. And we had a great partner along the way here. So Microsoft um, if you remember 2002, Bill Gates wrote a memo, the Trustworthy Computing Memo at Microsoft, mm-hmm. saying that, and they basically stopped for three months, and all they did was do security fixes. Yep. Well, coming out of that, they started their own security development lifecycle team. And that team has, has led the industry, but they also partnered with us early on to, let, to, to show us many of the things, uh, what they were successful in and where their challenges were. So we were able to learn from them and then use that as a basis to use that as kind of a framework, framework to develop yeah. our own, right? Yeah, to and fill in the CSDL. Right. Yeah. So, and we also we're we're doing some of that in parallel as far as security requirements, uh, but then we also were in parallel starting to run some of our own vulnerability testing based on what we were seeing in the field, and then things sort of merged together and gelled to become a, more of a life cycle type approach. Yeah, I mean, and, and SDL has become our security development life cycle in the industry has become much more prevalent. You know, everybody has an SDL now. We have conferences where we get together and we share best practices amongst people who are in charge of building these life cycles and, and basically just building security in. You know, what can we all learn from each other? It's very right. important. So we continue to raise the bar 
increase the number of, of requirements as new issues show up in the field, new technologies. Yeah, are and challenge each other, right? Right. Yeah, and you know, it, we're, we've got an industry presence, right? We've learned a lot. We're contributing back to the industry on this, and you know, for you know the average seventy thousand plus employees at Cisco, right? We also have processes for not just people in development, but those in dev test and, and tech even, um, to learn about these processes and to play a role in it. And one other thing is that, you know, this uh, security mindset, uh, you, you said it was the DNA for us. Um, you know, that, that extends beyond just development. So in the tech, you know, I work on tech cases, I help our customers, and we're the front lines for um, some of the security questions that our customers have and their concerns. And so it's important that the TAC gets trained on all this stuff as well. So I just recently went through some really, um, really neat and innovative uh, security uh, fundamentals training that is there um, not only just for development but for TAC as well. And it gets, gets the whole company into that right security mindset. Yeah, I mean, we believe that uh, security is foundational across the company. You know, so, you know so being, a, being responsible for security is spread in every role at Cisco. There's nobody here who doesn't have some type of security responsibility. So that's why everybody has to know, at least foundationally, what is security and, and what do I have to do from my job perspective. Right. How does it apply to me and how can I have an impact to ensure that in everything we do, whether we produce products or working with customer cases or whatever it is, that we've got a security hat on at part of the time, right? And we're thinking, you know, what is it that I'm seeing? You know, a lot of times, I mean, I remember in tech, you know, experiencing a vulnerability that a customer had that they didn't know they had, right? But I put it on, oh, wait a second, you're able to crash that box? and how did, how, yeah, how did that crash with a single packet? Is I'm like, you know, oh, but if you upgraded this version and it, it doesn't crash it, no. Oh, and the customer's happy. Okay, I'll just upgrade. Whoa, 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 wait, right? Yeah. You know, no, we've got to, we've got to, Developers, we got to report it. We got to expose it, right? And, and so we're doing all that, um, and that's part of some of the security awareness, if you would, training. But it, it's more to it than that, right? It's really about ingraining security in each and every one of us. Yeah, and that's you know security awareness training. You can think of that just as a way to enable, but it's bigger, yep. right? Just like you said, we want to get this. It has to be foundational to the way Cisco works. Is that security is is what we do? It ties back to the basic resiliency of our products. We've always cared about quality. This is really just a piece of quality. Yeah. So let's let's take um, a specific example, right? So um, I, I know you know customers are listening and thinking, oh, the, well, this is great. You know, I know that Cisco, you know, invests heavily in security, right? We probably open their eyes a lot about you know how deep security runs through our products and and what we produce. But let, let's kind of give an example. Um, you know, can one of you give an example of, you know, how this has really helped, um, you know, a product or helped something by, by, you know, the security methodology and the life cycle that we do follow here? Yeah, sure. So we have something called a connected grid router. Is, is that the routers that sit on top of power poles and stuff um, so, all over cities? Yeah, they're out, and, and they're outside. They're exposed. Right. They're, not, they're not in a data center somewhere where they have physical protections. Yeah. So which, they, which, unless they're warmed by a, a mating osprey. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny because when I joined like 14 years ago, right, that was like the first question when you kind of went through some of these security things. Well, does, does a person have to have physical access, right? Is there physical access, right? You kind of take that for granted. But now – Right with the internet of everything, you know, our, our products are physically exposed to a hacker that can walk up and touch and you know do whatever they want. Right? Your refrigerator. That's yeah, right. yeah, the internet of everything is a whole other security challenge right. for us. But the connected grid router it sits on top of this pole and um, you know it's exposed. It, it has you know interfaces. People are, are technicians are coming by and, and doing updates and things to it as they're you know taking care of the the power grid. And this is a, a you know CSDL is is foundational in all of our products 
foundational and the smart grid router in the same way. They've you know embraced this right from the beginning, and they had government standards to to deal with as well. Um, some you know they had some requirements from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission that Be- because it's for um, our our power grid, right? Yeah, because so it's for the for the grid. There's some right. specific requirements, and um, you know our CSDL requirements are complementary to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission requirements as well. So they work you know hand in hand and you know result in a secure product for this customer. So what are some specific things about a a power grid router on top of a power pole? You mentioned that somebody, you know, it's exposed out there. Um, so I'm assuming that a lot of our product security baselines, like, you know, the default passwords and things, all that still is applied to this uh, power grid and also physical stuff as well. Yes. Yeah. So, they, yeah, they have some physical constraints as far as having locks and things mm-hmm. to protect, okay. physically protect the box. Um, but But CSDL is just as applicable to a product that sits on top of a pole as something that's inside of a data center because we still need the same logical security protections Mm. applied to these devices. Well, uh, that wraps it up. Thanks a lot for listening. Um, We want to thank our special guests, Chris Romeo and Lisa McDonald from our trustworthy systems organization here at Cisco for talking with us about the Cisco Secure Development Lifecycle. Um, So is there a a webpage that you guys have uh, externally that our customers can go to to learn more? www.cisco.com slash go slash CSDL. Excellent. And uh, if you want to learn more about the Tax Security Podcast or listen to past episodes, you can go to www.cisco.com slash go slash Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.